You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, church. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Ronnie Cannon. I get to serve as the family life pastor here at East Point. I'm just glad to be here with you more this morning. Glad you're here. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving. Like, what, what a day, right? Like, what a holiday. Like, Mary and I went to her side of the family, went to my side of the family, ate the biggest meal of the year twice in one day, right? It's a great holiday, but you know what that makes today, right? Like, out of the 52 Sundays that are in the year, this is probably the one where you might fall asleep in church, Right? Let's be honest, you had a big meal on Thursday, leftovers every day since. You know what turkey does, right? Might have had a little pumpkin pie before breakfast this morning. Anybody? Right? You might not make it through. Right? But thankfully, you don't have to sit here and be bored by an academic lecture. You don't have to be lulled to sleep by, by the thoughts and opinions and probably less than helpful advice that I have to offer. You know, we get to open up the Bible, open up God's Word and hear God speak a message to us this morning. It's not an accident that you're here. It's, it's not by happenstance that we're hearing this message. It's by God's will, by God's plan that we're hearing the, the life-giving, encouraging, convicting, life-changing message of His Word. That's not enough. There's coffee in the lobby. <laughs> All right? So if you, have your, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And for the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at reconciliation, bringing our, our brothers back to Christ, mending broken relationships. And if you're like me, over the course of your life, you, you've probably seen this in action a few times. I think back to, to kindergarten. My first friend was also the, the subject of my my first broken relationship in a heated kindergarten recess kickball game. I was hustling from second to third. He threw the kickball at me. He hit his target. I hit the blacktop, skinned my knee, hobbled to the nurse's office in tears, swearing I would never, ever talk to him again. He picked up the phone later that night. He called me, asked if I wanted to come over and jump on the trampoline. I said, yes, relationship reconciled. <laughs> Other times, relationships aren't so easily reconciled. Maybe this time of year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, is a reminder, is, is proof of that. As you sit across the table and look at the empty chair as evidence of a, a relationship, a family relationship left unreconciled, the result of at least one party unwilling to reconcile. And for some of you, depending on your religious backgrounds, the people that have spoken into your lives, the worldviews that have influenced you, the things you've done, the lives you lived, you can't fathom a God that would be willing to reconcile with you. 
your list of mistakes too many, your list of offenses too long. But church, this morning I want to remind you that God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. And so we have this letter, 2 Corinthians, written by Paul to the church in Corinth. And in verse 16, he says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you might not be able to tell now, but Paul was not always what we would call a Jesus follower. Right? Like if you're expecting a, a, a nice gentleman in a modest vehicle with a Jesus fish stamp to the back and 95.1 playing on the radio, you're going to be disappointed. And once upon a time, Paul was a devout Jew. Religion coursed through his veins. He lived and breathed Judaism. He was just as religious on Monday as he was Sunday. Judaism was life. No one was more religious than Paul. And Jesus comes. Jesus arrives and he takes religion. He takes Judaism as everyone knew it and he flips it on its head. And Paul didn't take kindly to that. And Paul certainly didn't take kindly to the growing number of followers that this dead, now dead and gone Jesus had accumulated. So he made it his life goal, his life mission, his, his chief aim to stomp out the growth of this, this Jesus movement. And so he hunted down, put in prison, and did anything within his power, within his control, to see to it that these Jesus followers would be put to death. And that's what he did. See, to Paul, Jesus was a joke. This man, Jesus, claiming to be God, claiming to be the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, was a fraud. Because Paul regarded Christ according to the flesh. Paul viewed Jesus according to the world's standards, and according to the world's standards, how could any Messiah, how could any Savior who should be distinguished by God and favored by God be allowed to be put to such a cruel and brutal death, hung on a cross. Certainly, if Jesus was truly the Messiah, God would not have allowed that to happen. If the Savior needed saving and God didn't save him, he was really no Savior at all. To Paul, Jesus was cursed. He was not Christ. But something happened to Paul. 
Something transpired that would not only completely change the direction of Paul's life, but it would utterly and radically change the person of Paul himself. On his way to arrest Jesus' followers in the nearby city of Damascus, he would come face to face with the Savior that he had labeled as a fraud and written off as dead and gone. Experiencing something that he couldn't just ignore, couldn't just brush off, couldn't just forget. Paul's view of Jesus changed when he encountered Jesus. According to the flesh, he would regard him thus no longer. Once convinced Jesus was dead, Paul now, that, now saw that Jesus was risen. And if a dead Savior is a fake, a risen Savior is for real. And when his view of Jesus changed, Paul changed. Putting his trust in Jesus. Now being in Christ, God made Paul a new creation. The old Paul, motivated by hate for Jesus, had passed away. The old Paul that lived in opposition to Jesus and the Jesus movement had passed away. The new Paul had come and the new Paul was controlled by the love of Christ. The new Paul had come and the new Paul lived for Christ. Paul witnessed firsthand that when God reconciles you to himself, he makes you new. Which is why he was able to write the words we have here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. The God of reconciliation, the God who brings his people into harmonious relationship with himself, does not reconcile you to himself and leave you unchanged. Men, where, where are my guys at? Men, we, we are not the same versions of ourselves as married men as we were single men. Amen? Right, like things about us changed the day we met our spouses, the day we got married. First one, and it's a biggie, no more dating other women, right? If the marriage thing's going to work, no more dating other women. Number two, our bad bathroom habits, right? The toilet seat, leaving the toilet seat up, it's got to stop. The facial hair caked in shaving cream in the sink, it's got to change. We had to change. Oh, and three. Number three, our, our days of leaving our emotions, letting them fly under the, the radar without having to be talked about or dissected and analyzed, those days are gone. <laughs> Men, we had to change. The day we met our spouses, the day we got married, we had to change. Moms, where are my moms at? Moms, the day you brought home from the hospital that sweet, sweet bundle of joy they call a baby, things about you changed. Right, things about you were not the same. For one, your desire for seven to nine hours of uninterrupted, blissful sleep had to go away. It had to change, right? Two, your desire to go anywhere, including the bathroom, without the eyes of your child locked on you, even in your most vulnerable moments, had to change. And three, your desire to eat, sleep, shower, all within the same day? 
had to change. Right? When you brought those babies home, things about you changed. Because of your new relationships, maybe not all at once, but you changed. And when God reconciles you to himself, when he brings you into relationship with himself, things about you change. God changes you. He makes you new, a perfect and holy and righteous. God loves broken people. And he loves to rescue broken people, but God doesn't leave broken people broken. He changes it, not slightly, not just superficially. It's not just a change in a behavior and a cleaned up mouth. God doesn't just make you the best version of yourself. He changes you, regenerating you from the inside out. God changes you completely. Paul says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Put to death is the old you. Brought to life is the new. In Christ, you are a new creation. And this is good news to any of us who hate the things we've done in the past and hate the, thing, hate the people we were in the past. And one, one specific way that Paul says God changes us, how God changes reconciled people, look what Paul says. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Church, when God reconciles you to himself and he changes you, he changes your perspective of people. Because you no longer regard Jesus according to the flesh. You no longer regard others according to the flesh. You don't see other people the same. God changes your view of people so that you don't look at people through a, a superficial worldly lens that, that favors the, the rich and the powerful and the well-connected and the good-looking, the successful. No, your view of, you, you, you view people for, for what they really are, for who they really are. Those who don't know Christ, you view with compassion. As lost souls in, in desperate need of a Savior. And those who are new creations in Christ, Christians, you view as, as brothers and sisters in Christ who would be just as lost if it wasn't for the love of a reconciling God. Church, the Bible tells us that one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, God is making a new people. When God reconciles you to himself, he makes you new. Next we'll see when God reconciles you to himself, he considers you clean. Verse 18, Paul says, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If God is a God of reconciliation and God is in the business of reconciling people, then there must be a reason that we need reconciling. If God is making a new people, then there must be something wrong with the old. If reconciliation implies a severed relationship, what have we done to God to sever our relationship? If you read from the beginning of the Bible, it doesn't take you long to find the answer. You get to Genesis chapter 2, and there's this man and there's this woman, Adam and Eve, made in the image of God, and God loved them so much that they were in harmonious relationship with God, perfect relationship with God, and then you turn one page to Genesis 3, and the relationship severed, broken. 
The man and woman decided they would act in willful rebellion against God. They determined that God's ways may not be the best ways. So they acted against his instructions. And with that act of rebellion, all kinds of sin, all kinds of evil were ushered into the world. Now generation after generation, all of humanity is corrupted with this sin nature. It's in us all. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we continue to commit trespasses against God. Paul himself, the writer of our letter, Paul himself, even in the newness of life in Christ, would write this in our Bibles, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. If you're anything like me, if you're anything like Paul, it's not the good that you keep doing. It's the evil that you do not want to do. We can't escape it, so we, we live our lives and we, we crumble under the weight of our trespasses against God as they mount up one after another, trespass after trespass. And to remedy it, some of us try to just do more good than we do bad, right? We do more good to people than we do bad to people. We hope that when the day comes that God will see all the good we've done and then ignore the bad. And then others, others of us, we, we look around at, at other people. We look around at the world. We see the evil in the world. We see the sin in the world. The things that other people are doing. And, and we look at ourselves and we're not that bad. And so we pray that God will, will see that. That at least we're not that bad. And others of us ignore the, the twinge of pain that comes every time we, we commit a trespass against God. We ignore it so much that we become numb to it. So we can no longer feel it. And meanwhile, our trespasses continue to amount one after another, trespass after trespass, our relationship with God remains severed and in need of reconciliation. And if this severed relationship was like any other relationship, it would be the guilty party that does the reconciling. You lose the trust of your spouse. You promise to earn it back. Promise to do better. Fight hard for your marriage. And maybe you'll keep your spouse. If you hurt the feelings of a friend, you give them compliment after compliment, gift after gift, hoping that, that at least one day they'll accept you back. And maybe, maybe they accept you back. If you make a mistake at work, lose the respect of your coworkers and your boss, you work harder and harder. You work longer and longer. Focus more and more. And then maybe you earn your reputation back. But God, God is a God of, of reconciliation. And to repair the relationship with us that we severed, God does the reconciling. Paul says all this is from God. God does the pursuing, God does the changing, and although it's us that commits the trespasses, it's God that does the reconciling.
And when Jesus was asked by Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother? He said, 77 times. That seemed like a mountain. When we consider the frequency in which we need the forgiveness of God, forgiving others 77 times looks like a molehill. It's God that reconciles us to himself, and he does it through Christ. God is the source of reconciliation. Jesus is the means. But look closely at verse 19. Look closely at verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. This is more than just forgiveness, isn't it? It's more than just forgiveness. When God reconciles you to himself, yes, he forgives your long list of trespasses, offenses, sins, mistakes, but it's more. He doesn't count them. He treats them as if they're not there. As if they never happened. For a messed up, sin-prone you and I to be in a relationship with a perfect and holy and righteous God, God's got to do something with our list of offenses, right? And so the reconciling God does something most of us can't. The God who knows all things and sees all things not only forgives He forgets. He chooses to forget. He treats your sins against him like they never happened. New creations get new records. When God reconciles you to himself, he makes you new. When God reconciles reconciles you to himself, he considers you clean. Thirdly, when God reconciles you to himself, he gives you a new purpose. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When Paul met Jesus on his way to Damascus, Paul left with a new purpose. Previously with a mission to hunt down Jesus' followers and have them put to death. Paul's new purpose was to find non-Christians and tell them that following Jesus was the way to life. When God reconciled Paul to himself, he gave him a new purpose. He gave him the ministry of reconciliation. Paul's new God-given assignment was to tell the world that a loving and merciful God is God is a, is a God of reconciliation. That through Jesus Christ, God reconciled himself to Paul and that, they, that he could reconcile himself to others too. God is a God of reconciliation. Anybody been watching the um, World Cup? Anybody? It's like three. That's, that's more than the last gathering. On Thanksgiving, I, I sat down after the turkey and all that and uh, watched it was Brazil and Serbia, I think. Anyway, watched the game on TV with some family. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not much of a soccer fan, but it's, there's something cool about seeing like different people from all over the world come together, root on their team, see different players from all over the world, different countries come together, play on live TV in front of the world. Not representing the name on the back of their jersey, but the name on the front, right? The representatives of their country, the people of their country. 
So every time a, a player scores a game-winning goal, they're representing their country. Right, anytime a, a, a goalie makes a game-winning save, they're representing their country. Anytime a grown man falls to the ground and acts like he's nearly dying because someone's shoelace hit him, he's representing his country. And when God reconciles you to himself, you are now a representative of Christ. Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ. Now being a new creation, you are an alien in a foreign culture. Being made new in Christ, you are now living among the dead. Given life in Christ, you are now living among the old. Christian, you live in a foreign culture where Jesus is foreign to its people. For the last few weeks, we, we've looked at reconciliation within the church. When one of our brothers or sisters in Christ strays, we just long to have our brother back. But when God reconciles you to himself, he gives you a new purpose, and your new purpose is to also make new brothers. Those co-workers, those friends, those family members that are not walking in the newness of life need to be introduced to the God of reconciliation. They need to be made new. They need to be brought into the family of God. Those, those kids, those kids in your neighborhood, those teens that hang out with your teens need to be introduced to the God of reconciliation who can make them clean, who can call them forgiven. As a parent, if I don't constantly remind myself of my purpose as a dad, raising my kids seems at best discouraging and on my worst days, hopeless. If my chief purpose is to change behavior, my child's misbehavior will be a constant reminder that I'm a failure as a parent. But if your chief purpose as parents is to help your kids fall in love with a God of reconciliation who won't just change their behavior, but will completely change them, make them new creations entirely, your confidence as parents won't rise and fall with the good and bad. Whatever role in life you have, when God reconciles you to himself, he gives you a new purpose. You're an ambassador for Christ. And Paul says that God is making his appeal through us. As ambassadors for Christ, God reaches those around you through you. And don't miss the gravity of what Paul is saying here. For those of us who may be growing weary of speaking the same message of reconciliation in our kids' ministries, in our student ministries, in our community groups, week after week with no immediate results, tempted to give up, tempted to question whether what we're, even do what we're doing even matters. Don't miss what Paul is saying. He says, we implore you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But friends, these are not just the words of Paul. Yes, it's Paul's hand, it's Paul's pen that put these words on paper, but this is God making his appeal through Paul. 
the perfect, all-sufficient God who need beg for no thing, begs people be reconciled to him. Because God loves people. The matter is so urgent, the stakes are so high with life or eternal punishment on the line. God says, please, please be reconciled to me. Christians, you are ambassadors for Christ. What we do matters. What you do matters. God makes his urgent appeal through you. He reconciles lost souls to himself through you, whether you're in kids' ministry, student ministry, community group ministry, hospitality ministry, setup team ministry. You're in the ministry of reconciliation, and there is no better ministry. When God reconciles you to himself, he gives you a new purpose. He, he gives you the ministry of, of reconciliation. But, but Christian, as you live out your call to ministry, don't for, forget the message of your ministry. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just under a month, we'll, we'll celebrate Christmas which means for the next several weeks we'll, we'll hear the familiar message of how the Son of God came to earth as a baby to die for the sins of the world, that Jesus died. That's not the whole message. It's not the whole gospel. If you want to hear the, if you want the whole gospel, we've not, got to, not only got to know why Jesus died, but why he lived. Right? Think, think about it. Like Jesus could have came to earth on Christmas Day and died on New Year's Day. What was the point of those 33 or so years between his birth and his death? It's this. It's because I've lived for 34 years. And for 34 years, year after year, I've committed sin after sin and trespassed after trespass against God with nothing I alone could do about it. And for you, year after year, committing trespass after trespass, sin after sin, with nothing you alone could do about it. But Jesus came. He was born a baby. And he lived his life. Year after year, he lived. Year after year, temptation after temptation. No trespasses. No sin. He lived perfectly. While our records are long and our offenses against God or plenty, Jesus' record was clean and his offenses against God non-existent. Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. Yet it was Jesus who died on the cross and not me. It was Jesus who died on the cross and not you. 
And Paul says that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God treated Jesus as if he were a sinner, though he wasn't. So that he could treat sinners as righteous, though they aren't. God treated Jesus as you, though he wasn't, so that he could treat you as righteous, though you aren't. Jesus gets what we deserve. We get what he deserves. Jesus gets wrath, we get grace. Jesus gets death, you get eternal life. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the call to you this morning is simple. It's be reconciled to God. Not reconcile yourself to God. There's no amount of works you can do. No amount of good things you can do. Be reconciled to God. Accept God's free gift of Jesus' clean record in exchange for yours. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Be reconciled to God. Church, that's the message of our ministry. That God, a loving God who loves to reconcile people, sent his beloved son, Jesus, to be our substitute. The gospel that we share among friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors is not a gospel of good works, good deeds. It's not a gospel of hard work. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of love. It's a gospel of reconciliation. God's given you the ministry of reconciliation, church. Whatever your role in life is, God's given you the ministry of reconciliation to declare his message. That Jesus came to die for our sins. That Jesus is our substitute. He's been given the ministry of reconciliation in a world that has no greater need than reconciliation. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you, you see our brokenness. And thank you that you see our sin and you don't just ignore it and you don't just you don't just run away, turn your back on us. No, you, you pursue us. God, that you're a God that loves to reconcile with people because you love people. Father, thank you that you've torn down this mountain of trespasses and through Jesus you've given us clean records. Father, that you don't view us and see us and see our sins. You see, if we put our trust in you, you see Jesus' record, his righteousness. Thank you for giving us newness of life, new hearts, new desires.
Father, we love you. Pray for those around us that need to know the love of a reconciling God. Father, I pray that you speak to them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.